0: I'll give you one very specific example on this. Um, there's a company that shall not go named, um, that uh, the, the CEO of which pinged me and basically said, hey, uh, Sahil, really great news. Uh, we just raised a, a fresh round of funding and we're gonna scale aggressively into what was at that time last year. So it was just like September, October of last year. So we're gonna scale aggressively. Okay, great. Congratulations, awesome, obviously. Um, can you help us with some sales hiring? I was like, sure. You know, what are you looking for? The person's like, I don't care about the compensation. I just need the best salespeople. And I was like, okay. Well, what do you mean by best salespeople? I need people who can crush quota, who can close deals, who can just make shit happen. Like, I need, I need like hunters, people who who I can put big targets in front. And so I'm listening to the, to, the, to, to the description of what this mythical creature looks like. And I'm like, and I, and I said, said back to him, I was like, you have no idea what your sales process actually looks like, do you? Hi,
1: friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Sahil Mansuri. Sahil is the CEO of Bravado, a community for sales professionals. And in our conversation today, we talk about the 2022 Bravado State of Sales Compensation Guide. There are a lot of interesting findings from that study that we dig into. For example, we discuss why only 47% of sales teams hit quota in 2021. We dig into the reasons why only one in four sales teams had 75% or more of their members hit quota so, think about that. Only one in four sales teams had more than 75% of their members hit quota. Generally, poor sales performance. And Sahil and I also explored the whole topic of job tenure in technology sales. Bravado's study found job tenures on the decline among AEs and senior sales leadership. When we speculate about why this trend is happening right now, is it the great resignation or perhaps something else? So we get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to Sahil, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you for that. All right, let's jump into it. Sahil, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. I've
0: missed you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: thank you. Yeah, likewise. It's it's you know, We had a great conversation last time. Um, look forward to it again this time. So, and it wasn't that long ago, actually. I, I, I was thinking about it. It was right, right after your daughter was born. She's, what, 15 months old, you said now? So
0: Yeah, that's right. So, I think it must, It probably about a year ago, I would guess. Yeah. Somewhere in the age, yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah, I think we'd actually had to reschedule it because the original date was, like, right around the day she was
0: born. As it turned that's right. Out. That's right. Oh, we had a, we, she, she, decided, she decided that I was not going to do this show uh, on time place. last time.
1: Well, you know the little ones put their stamp on the world pretty quickly. So, um, well, so folks who maybe aren't familiar with bravado, tell us a little bit about, uh, the
0: bravado and what you do. Yeah. Uh, bravado is a, a community, uh, platform for salespeople. Um, we have about a uh, hundred and fifty thousand odd members, uh, all of whom are in B two B sales, with a with a real focus on B two B tech sales. I would say, okay. um, all right. So the majority of, of uh, our members come from you know companies like Salesforce and Uber, Slack, Dropbox, etc. Mm-hmm. etc. Just like small, tiny startups you've ever heard of. Yeah, remember. yeah. Um, I've heard of any and, of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and with the uh, and with the idea that. Um, it's a platform that can help salespeople be more successful in their careers, uh, as well as to do better with their customers.
1: Got it, okay, so a question I have is, you know, there's seems like a sort of growing number of, of sales communities. Uh-huh. Do do people belong to multiple communities? I mean, sort of, are or is there focuses of each of these different communities so that, you know, someone, a seller looking at I won't name your competitors necessarily, but looking at the various options uh, say, well, which one's for me?
0: First of all, when I started Bravado, there were zero sales communities. Mm -hmm. So so the fact that there is a rev genius, the fact that there is a pavilion, the fact that there is a sales hacker and all these other things that are out there makes me super happy because I started Bravado because there was nowhere for a salesperson to turn to, communicate with their peers and get answers to questions you know the the original premise of bravado was super simple um sales at its core is like four actions right you you prospect you you demo you you close deals and then you retain customers that's that's effectively sales. sure there's there's nuance to it but that's generally the four pillars of sales yeah I, Um, I, i i i reduce it to two acquire and retain acquire and retain that's right um, although we specialized away some of the acquisition part in sure. SDRs, which we can talk about a different day. Right. Um, but, but my, the thing that was weird to me is, um, everybody's just trying to figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. Like every salesperson is sitting there historically in their old cubicle today in their own homes uh, for the most part, and is trying to figure out how is it that I'm going to, um, how is it that i'm going to be able to to sell to customers today how is mm-hmm. it going to be able to get in touch with this buyer how am i going to win this deal um and there's just no globally established best practice around any of this there's no best practice around how pricing should work there's no best practice around how renewals should work there's no best practice around how outbound should work and everyone's just trying to like figure it out themselves and it's night and day from what you see with many other professions. So if we look outside of our little world of of sales and we look out you know, to let's say design for example. Mm -hmm. You know, there are design systems that are available on the internet that anyone can pick up and you can really quickly learn how to design stuff without ever having been a designer. And if you're trying to get into design, there's courses out there that you can take and there's certifications that you can do. There's all of this reading material that's out there around it and and then the actual work you know you don't need to start with a blank screen and then figure out how to design you can just upload different templates different design Mm -hmm. systems different fonts different uh and then you can build on top of that so it's almost like you know, you're, it's this concept of, of, you know, build, building blocks, right. That, that already exist, right, right. So the foundation's already set for design. And then you're just innovating on top of that. The same is true for, for code, right. Open source technology exists and, you know, you can download any number of programs that are open source and then start coding on top of them. Uh, you know, there's stack overflow, which is basically mm-hmm. an open source library of information about how to program, how to right. code. Um, and so, if you are, you know, you find yourself with an, you know, you're, you're trying to, this was a, something that happened to me personally. Um, I was learning R uh, when I was first getting into product. And mm-hmm. the person who's my co founder today um, at Bravado uh, at the time was the chief data scientist of, of that company. It was just like, oh, just Google it. And I was like, "What do you mean by Google it?" Because I was like trying to figure out the there was some syntax error, and I couldn't. Quit. He's like, right. "Just Google it." And so I literally like copy pasted the error, and I put it into Google, and then boom, there was the answer. It was someone who yeah. already ran into this problem, had already found what the right answer was, and had shared that information. And then a bunch of people had commented on top of you know to to permutate and iterate off of it. Nothing like that existed for sales. So every salesperson had to figure out how to write their own email. Every salesperson had to figure out how to do their own demo. Every pitch deck was created from scratch. Every comp plan for every company was uniquely formulated. And so Bravado was kind of this mission-driven organization to try to create the first foundational layer of sales so that Mm -hmm. every salesperson could then build on top of that. And there was this like open source library of content, comp plans, told email templates and knowledge, information of like what was happening across Mm -hmm. the 6 million B2B salespeople that exist in the U.S. today. Um, The fact that there are, you call them competitors, I don't see it that way. It's like either we all as sales are going to get better or we're just going to get replaced by, by automation, right? Like we're already starting to see the movement of product led growth and Mm -hmm. this whole transformation of, of the, the journey of how people buy software has gotten further and further away from sales. And so it's basically like innovator die, you know, and, and, and I'm on the side of the seller. I spent my whole career in sales. I, I deeply believe that salespeople, um, are, are 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 and can be a huge value add to yep. the economy and and to the ecosystem but not if we just keep doing the same crap it's over been and over it. again
1: i agree a thousand percent on that right um yeah i mean you get all the studies you know Gartner's come out last year or so saying yeah increasing they're not the only ones saying hey buyers don't want to talk to sellers anymore but to your point that's the point I make is, well, they don't want to talk to sellers who can't help them get their job done. If you can add value to them and help them get their job done in a better way than perhaps they are going to get it done by themselves, then they have time
0: for you. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I can, I mean, there's a very simple parallel to this, which is uh, in the world of consulting. You know, companies will pay six, seven figure sums to Accenture or Bain or BCG or whoever it is in order to hire consultants who will come in and analyze a business problem that they are facing, mm-hmm. which often is a mixture of poor technology as well as poor process. Right, And then we'll get recommendations from the that consulting party in order to figure out what technology they need to buy in order to modernize their tech and then what process they need to implement in order to leverage that new newfound capacity. And then we'll buy that tech and then we'll implement that process and then we'll be super happy and we'll rinse, repeat over and over again. Um, And meanwhile, you have salespeople which are kind of on the other end of that spectrum which are all these people who are like emailing buyers and, and you know, Accenture and BCG and stuff don't need to do outbound customers come to them because they're like, Oh, if I have a business problem, I need to go to the expert. Right. But then you have a company that's like, Hey, I really need to figure out what analytics software to buy. And I could buy Tableau or I could buy Looker. Maybe I need to go with one of these more new fangled solutions like mm-hmm. Pendo or Amplitude or Mixpanel. But the last thing I want to do is talk to a sales rep from one of those companies right? I'm going to go talk to my peer group. I'm Mm going to go look on G2. I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know, ask my former boss. But the last thing I want to do is talk to a person from one of those companies because I'm going to get put into this, like, oh, I'm going to get qualified. And then they're going to try to hard sell me. And then I'm going to be on their email list forever. And like, then I'll, and so like sales has become repulsive, which is really sad for me to see in an industry that I love and think is really valuable and dear. And so I guess the way I look at it is, um, you know, if, if we can make salespeople view themselves through the same lens that Bain or BCG or Accenture views their consultants, and the way that customers interface with that um, entity, then I think sales will come a long way from where we are today.
1: hmm I agree. You're gonna have to read my new book.
0: I'm, I'm all here for it. Tell uh, me more about it.
1: It's, well, well <laughs> I would want to here, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, called, coming out in two weeks from the time this day that we're recording this episode called Sell Without Selling Out, a guide Ooh. to success on your own terms. And, um, yeah, it's all premises. How do we create positive buying experiences for the buyers without resorting to the obsolete legacy salesy behaviors that I call selling out and contrast that with what you need to do to sell in based on, uh, like four core pillars we call connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. So, uh, I
0: feel like here's, here's what I, where I've seen challenges around not what you just described in your book, but just generally trying to get salespeople to view the world differently is that, people don't innovate until they're forced to. If something works, they just keep doing it because inertia and because laziness and because whatever. You know, we've known for a long time that sales has, and I'll tell you like the most simple kind of clear example of this. Um, I keep every, every company, every SaaS company goes through the same journey. Where they ra- you know, they start to find product market fit, they go raise like a, a large round of funding from a VC, mm-hmm. a Series B, a Series C, and then that investor comes in and says, "All right, you need to replace your VP of Sales, right? We need to get you a real CRO." Mm. And so they go in and they say, "Well, you got to get this guy, because it's always a guy. You got to get this guy. Um, you know, he's got 25 years of experience. He took this company and Salesforce, and you know, whatever, 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 um, IBM, blah, blah, blah." Um, and, and we basically take the same, like, you know, few hundred people. How great like, people? Yes. It's and sort of then, like it,
1: retread baseball managers. But yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's like, how many more times can we hire Dusty Baker? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. like, I get it. I get it. You know, there's, there's, um. It's the it's like our version of nobody got fired for buying Amazon or nobody got fired for buying IBM or whatever right. it is. Right. You know, it's 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 it's. Um rinse and repeating the same playbook without ever recognizing that the people who made successful teams in that era were doing it when the sales process looked nothing like what it does today and so as soon as you bring in that person they basically implement a bunch of practices that are completely anathema to the modern buying practice but because that's the way that they've done it for 25 years that's just what they know what to do but nobody ever wakes up and says well why don't I take the the, the salesperson who's absolutely crushing it in today's modern buying context and give that person the power to make decisions at an organizational level so that they can build us what a modern buyer would want to experience. But nobody wants to do that because, well, we just raised a large round of funding and you know now our investors are telling us. So I feel like there's a lot of that that I see. In this sure.
1: Yeah, but I, I wonder, is it, <laughs> even among what you're calling sort of the cadre of modern sellers is how would you, I mean, look at your report, <laughs> the sales compensation report. Uh, so you just published your 2022 Bravado State of Sales Compensation Guide. And the figures you have about quota attainment and which mm-hmm. from which you can to it something about or infer something about sales performance itself is kind of dismal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what's the definition of
0: crushing it? Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because I think Um, so first I'll give you the stat just so that we have context around it. So, um, fewer than 45% of salespeople hit quota in 2022 or 2021, I'm sorry. So in 2021, um, you know, we surveyed a hundred and thousand, 110,000 salespeople, um, and uh, we have a product on Bravado called The Portfolio, where salespeople basically track their career. Think of it like mm-hmm. Mint.com, but for sales. Mm-hmm. And so they track every quarter what their quota was, what their attainment to quota was, what deals they closed, what their ranking was on the sales team, what percentage of their sales team hit quota, et cetera. So we basically have this like data repository to, to survey across the landscape of what's happening at 13,000 different sales teams in mm-hmm. the United. Mm-hmm. Globally, actually, but the plurality of which is in North America, right. um, and then that's all sliced into SMB, mid-market, enterprise, Series A, Series B, Series sure. D, public, et cetera. Size of team, uh, quota amount, whatnot. Um, but but the overall statistic, which which you know I think is in some ways the most sad, and depending on how you look at it, um, is that forty-seven percent of sales teams hit their team quota in 2021, which means Mm -hmm. more than 50% of sales teams actually missed their quota in 2021, which was, of course, kind of a bumper year in terms of, you know, the economy and this and that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then we have a stat internally at Bravado that we like to call kind of best-in-class sales team. So best-in-class sales team is one in which 75% of the team hits quota. 75% 75% right. of the team. We're not talking 100% of the team or 90%. 75% of the team hits quota. And in across all companies, um, 23% of sales teams hit this number. Here's what's really kind of concerning around that, is that actually 26% of teams that were above 100 uh, is sales team members, so basically that's kind of like you know, large scale, like mm-hmm. like you're kind of like series E plus, you know, publicly traded companies. So twenty six percent of those hit quota. But if you were happen to work at a series B to a series D company, which is uh, you know, kind of in that twenty to seventy five reps on the mm-hmm. team, you know, kind of scaling, fifteen percent. And so you're basically saying that, you know, your odds of being on on, on a team like that is is just So low, 54% of sales reps missed quota in 2021. And the average tenure for an account executive dropped to 11 months. And the average tenure for a VP of sales dropped to 17 months. And so, like, to to your point of painting a dismal picture, it is is just that. Um, Well, let's, let's...
1: Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. I was
0: just gonna say, we so, I was gonna say so I was gonna say, like, so so why does this happen? Like how yeah, how well, come you have record high stock market? How come you have like, you know, companies raising funding like never before, and yet salespeople are still not hitting quota, they're still getting fired all the time. They like why how how come there's such a dichotomy between public company performance and private company performance and whatnot? And I think it it actually comes down to something really simple, which is uh, founders and CEOs need to show extremely aggressive growth goals in order to raise venture funding. So to get capital from a VC, you need to show that your business can scale at an exponential rate. And most businesses cannot scale at an exponential rate. And the reason they cannot is because either the market is too competitive, there's downward pressure on pricing, the product that they themselves have is not good enough to be able to dominate a market, they don't have the distribution leverage. I mean, there's a, many reasons why it can happen. But suffice it to say that let's say that you hit five million dollars in ARR this year, and your VP of sales comes to you and says, you know what? If we hire more people and we do this, we release this product, blah 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 blah. I think we can get to twelve million by the end of the year, Uh, you know, so we're going to grow 225% Mm -hmm. year over year. And then they take that plan to the board, and the board says, No way. Like, our, our companies, like our best companies, are going from five to 50. And then the conversation's like, Well, what's stopping you from getting to 50? And like, What would we need to do? And then the CEO's like, I don't know we can get there. And then they're like, Well, are you sure you're the right CEO for the company then? Because other companies are able to get there. And so there's all this pressure that gets lopped on the founder to basically go into a spreadsheet and take the numbers and, and, and dial up a few a few extra zeros at the end of some stuff, and then come back and say, oh, here's our plan for how we're gonna get from five to 30, let's say, mm-hmm. um, when the plan originally was five to 12. And then the VC says, great, you know, if you're going to be able to go from five to 30, then you should be able to go raise at a 300 million valuation because that's explosive growth. Now the founders really fired up and excited. And so they go truck off to go talk to some VCs and guess what? Those VCs turn around and fund them. And then now all of a sudden they've, they've raised uh, a $300 million round. And so then comes the reality, right? So at the, as we like to say, at some time, the crowd, the crows come home to roost, right? So, 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 you know, a group, crows, you know a group of crows is called, right? Uh, th- tell me. A group of crows
1: is called a murder. Uh,
0: wow. Well,
1: so that it's appropriate. That is,
0: that, is, uh, that, is, that is some good trivia on a, on a Tuesday, that's for sure. I did not know that, but that's really good. Yeah. Well,
1: you can expand your example the next time. Well, I mean, but, so, but
0: I, but I think that, that we,
1: if we really get down to the root of the problem, is that. Yeah, the, the scenarios you're describing is sort of, is all based on sort of one sort of oversight, which is that the level of performance of the individual seller is just not that good. And oftentimes, especially if you measure by a fundamental, let's say a win rate, is that they're put into a position, based on all these assumptions that need to be made, that make it almost, I believe, make it, I was going to say impossible, not impossible, but impossible for many of them, obviously based on these numbers, to effectively sell and achieve their quota.
0: Yeah. So, but, but let's, so just, just finishing that thread, because that comes right back to what you're saying, which is now you were supposed to go from five to 12, but now suddenly you've raised a bunch of money on the assumption you're going to go from five to 30. And so then What happens? The VP of sales basically starts getting pulled into weekly and monthly and quarterly meetings where they're being asked, All right, where's the 30? Where's the 30? Where's the 30? The VP of sales then turns around and goes to their sales managers and says, All right, where's the 30? Where's the 30? Where's the 30? the 30?" The sales managers then turn around and go to the reps and say, All right, where's the 30? Where's the 30? Where's the 30? And then the reps go to the customers. And then mm-hmm. they try to force deals through that are not a good fit. They try to discount their way in. They try to, you know, exactly. do, uh, take a bunch of tactics in order to try to make revenue well, happen because they know that they're going to get fired uh, if they've missed this number. Right. So and they do this burn the
1: strategy throughout, through their prospect base, they end up with win rates in the low 20%. And it's, yeah, impossible for most companies to be able to scale when their individual sellers are so ineffective.
0: That's right. That's right. And 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 so the efficacy of the individual seller is completely thrown out the window. It's not even considered in the in the in the in the possibility of something that the VP of sales or the CEO even thinks about because they're just thinking about it from like numbers on a spreadsheet. And I feel like this is one of the biggest misses that we have as a as a as an industry as as tech as a whole, which is that Like sales is a human, uh, you know, there's this debate, sales sales science or art. I I am on the camp of sales being an art. I don't believe it's, I think there is science to it. For sure, it's science enabled. But but ultimately, it's getting one person, human belly to belly, having Mm -hmm. a relationship, having a conversation. In order to do that effectively, you need to be really good. You just have to be real. You got to know your product, you got to know your space, you got to know your 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 buyer. You got to be super well trained and like there's all this but but nobody's putting in that work, right? Nobody's putting in the work to get people there. Instead, people get a higher quota, higher base, higher OTE without the tools and 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 structure to actually achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. And then we end up, you know, quickly firing the people that can't get there and it just becomes a churn and burn industry.
1: Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, you think about it. I mean, we sort of force people into these behaviors because, as you talked about before, is hey, we've got, uh, you know, 5x pipeline coverage requirements. So, yeah, that's sort of the rule of thumb is that your win rates could be the reciprocal of your pipeline coverage ratio. And you hear, you hear sales leaders saying, oh, we're going to do 7x pipeline coverage or 9 i I've done one this year, earlier this year, or not this year, I guess it was last year's, 9x. And it's like, how do you expect people to effectively build the relationship they need to build with the customer to truly understand what's important to that buyer? If they have that type of expectation put on them.
0: That's right. I mean, there's, I'll give you one very specific example on this. Um, there's a company that shall not go named, um, that, uh, the the CEO of which ping me, and basically said, hey, uh, Sahil, really great news. Uh, we just raised a, a fresh round of funding, and we're gonna scale uh, aggressively into what was at that time last year, so it was just like September, October of last year, so we're gonna scale Wait. aggressively. Okay, great, congratulations, awesome, obviously. Um, can you help us with some sales hiring? I was like, sure, You know, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Person's like, I don't care about the compensation, I just need the best salespeople. <laughs> And I was like, "Okay, well, what do you mean by best salespeople? I need people who can crush quota, who can close deals, who can just make shit happen. Like, I need, I need like hunters—people who, who I can put big targets in front." And so I'm listening to the to the to to the description of what this mythical creature looks right. like, and I'm like, and I and I said said back to him, I was like, "You have no idea what your sales process actually looks like, do you?" He's like, no, of course, you know, I've been, and then the the, the CEO is like, no, I've been personally closing all these deals, and da da da. I'm like, how have you been closing these deals? And he goes, oh well, you know, I've been cold email-. So he went to Stanford. He goes, I've been cold emailing <laughs> other people who went to Stanford, and basically asking them to sign up for, uh, give me feedback on my product, and then when they get on the phone with me, I close them. And I was like, okay, so what do you want this person to do? Do you want them to email, you know, uh, the Arizona State alumni and try to get them to close people? Like, like, what is your actual sales motion process? Whatever, don't doesn't have one, right? right. And so, and so, this sort of behavior. That that was a that was an extreme example, but is microcosmic of the sort of thing we see, which is that companies don't are not investing in thinking about what is my total addressable market, and then how am I going to reach these people, and where these people live, and what how much time does it take, what's my cost of acquisition, what like they're not doing that math, they're just doing the math of like, hey, we closed a million dollars this year, next year we're going to close ten, like go, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, oh absolutely. Well, totally. so it, it brings up
1: a question, though, is because you referred to this earlier, and I've been asking more guests about this question. Is, so, if you're in a situation, you know, that's of one of these companies that that, uh, you know, represent in the numbers you hear it's yeah, you know, only, yeah, you know, one in four have seventy-five percent of the members of the team, only fifty-four percent of reps, yeah, you know, or fifty-four percent of reps miss quota, low win rates. In that environment, yeah, you know, if you individual reps that have their win rates like that, in the low twenty percent can you really say you have product market fit?
0: Oh, huh. that's a great question, man. And I, would, I
1: such... would say no, because unless your sellers can go out and in the majority of cases, the individual sellers, unless in the majority of cases they can go out and present a compelling vision to the buyer that, that inspires the buyer to want to do business with you. It's arguably you don't have product market fit.
0: I don't think it's arguable. Oh, <laughs> I don't gosh. know what the argument would be, like, like <laughs> <Fine>. <laughs> the vast majority I, I would, I would, I would take that one step further. I think <laughs> most companies will never have product market fit, you know. And so, and so, like, this is this to me is like one of the most. I, I say funny, even though it's not funny, but it's like you know, Telling. every company out there when they're recruiting salespeople um, will turn around and make it sound so easy. You know, make it sound so easy. Like, sure. Oh my gosh, customers are lining up at the door, and this and that, and Sales whatever. job, yes. Yes, it's it's amazing. You're just going to come here and like you're just going to like take orders, you know, and and then and then people show up and they realize what it's really like. And and so one of the th- different things, and and I don't mean to to plug what we do at Bravado, but but I it, it, this problem is something I'm acutely aware of. So one of the things that we did at Bravado that was very different with our jobs marketplaces, as I mentioned to you before, mm-hmm. when we launched a jobs marketplace right. um, where we're matching top salespeople with, with great companies. It's the great companies part that is really unique. So we as an organization vet every employer before we let them onto the platform. And as far as I know, it could be that there's others doing it. I think we are the only uh, platform where the employer goes through a vetting process prior to being allowed to recruit from a a network or from a platform.
1: So what's that look like? What's that process? What What are you vetting?
0: Yeah, so it's four things. So one of the advantages of sitting on a, on a on a fairly large community of sales reps is I can find people who actually work at your company. So if the VP of sales inbounds and says, "Hey, I want to hire sales reps from Bravado," I, between myself and and Ross, we usually know someone at the at the company who works there, and then we can back channel and we'll be like, "Hey, what's it really like to work at your company? Like, are mm-hmm. you happy? Or are people happy? Like, what's what's the what's the skinny? What's the dirt?" Um, And so we get bottom, like kind of on the ground level information from the troops as to what the battlefield really looks like. Then we turn around and start uh, doing our diligence. And so diligence is kind of a three-step process. The first thing we do is we vet the company culture. And the way we do that is oftentimes I will have a conversation with the CEO of the company to be like, how do you view sales? Tell me about how you've historically done sales. Tell me about what your future plans of sales look like. Here are some of the common things I see where sales goes wrong at companies. How do you think about it? And I try to figure out if the founder truly has an appreciation for what to me is an obvious truth, which is that sales is the most difficult job at the company and should be given every benefit of the doubt because no one else can do it but but salespeople. And, Mm -hmm. And if the founder has a deep earnest respect for the craft of sales versus seeing it as this like necessary evil that they need to do because they really just want to build product and like do great things and sales people are just annoying and you know coin operated and all these other things that, so then that that's the first filter the second filter is I talk to their VCS so I actually have a conversation with the with the, the VC themselves now the advantage is that my wife's a VC and I mm-hmm. do a lot of angel investing so I have a little bit of you know a perspective of what the other side of the table looks like typically have a have a good sense of you know everything from tell me about your investment thesis on this company, how do you see them t- stacking up against competitors, how do you see their growth rates? And so we're having conversations with the VC to understand, is this truly the kind of company um, that has the potential to, to have product market fit, or is this a company that's just mm-hmm. going to be languishing with everyone else? And then the last step, which is arguably the most important, is we have them open up Salesforce. So we literally have the VP of sales open up Salesforce, and I ask them, I want to see what your attainment to quota looks like across the team. I want to see, you know, what is your distribution of how much reps made each, you know, in the last quarter, in the last year? What percentage of your revenue is diversified across the team versus being concentrated in one or two, like, kind of, you know, reps who are outliers? And we basically make sure the the end goal of this is i want to be able to refer someone from our network as if you were a friend of mine and i was sending you to a company as a personal endorsement sure. and so when and so that's the mantra behind how we built the jobs product. And so every employer that comes in goes through this vetting process. And then at the end of which, we basically have kind of hand curated a list of companies that we feel like there's no guarantees in sales or in life mm-hmm. that have a uh, better than average odds of you being able to find a place to work where where you can be successful.
1: Right. So question, not. Not, not meant as a gotcha question, but no, have, you, have you run the rule over these companies you vetted? Are their outcomes and their numbers any different than the averages, what you're finding in your report?
0: Yeah, that's a such a... Unfortunately, you asked not the gotcha question, but like the perfect sales teaser question. <laughs> um, yeah, the average uh, attainment to quota at the companies that we work for is uh, 88% of sales reps hit quota. At the companies that we are that we are at. Um, and a hundred percent of sales teams hit quota. So we actually don't take any clients where they did not hit quota in the previous year. So we, we which does mean that we turn away a lot of business to be super mm-hmm. clear. it's not it's not the most profitable decision. There's a lot of companies out there that are struggling, that are struggling with hiring salespeople that would probably pay more for our service because they would need it. but but I can't, in good faith, send someone to a company where I don't think that they would be successful. Right. so, so the outcomes are, uh, are vastly better, but there are far fewer employers, which means there's far fewer opportunities. And it means that a, a majority of our membership, unfortunately I can't service and I can't help. And, and it's like the bottleneck for me. Yeah, well,
1: but <laughs> what you're modeling, it sounds like, is the behavior that sellers should be modeling relative to qualifying opportunities. And uh, they when run I was this
0: twenty-four, pressure. my friend, I was really bad at picking companies. When I was twenty-six, I was really bad at picking companies. Sure. Even at thirty-four, I don't know how good I am, but I think I'm better than most. And well, but you've got the process
1: for doing it, and you stick to the process, which is yeah, you a know, function of leadership and helping people do that.
0: Try my best, my friend. You know, yeah. it's it really. It, I mean, my advice to any salesperson, um, if you're looking for a new job. Have have three reference points. Talk to back channel into a rep who works at the company. Mm-hmm. Talk to talk to the talk to the CEO of the company and ask how they view sales and talk to one customer and ask them what the why they bought the product, what their experience has been like. And if a company cannot provide you with a rep, the CEO and a and a customer reference, then look elsewhere. Because there's something weird. Because any company that's good should be able to provide you those three things.
1: Yeah. Ideally, they should provide you a customer who didn't buy from you.
0: Um, <laughs> no, that's and- fair. That's that's a that's a great call out, but I think in the interest of efficacy and whatnot, I think they I could know, probably get reluctant
1: money. to do that. But that if you really wanted to find out what's going on, that'd be the one to, to talk to. And mm-hmm. it's not always negative. You know, sometimes it just isn't the right product market fit. Sure. <laughs> but but if you're trying to get a sense of what the buyer's experience was with the sellers from that company, that'd be interesting to talk to those people. Um, let's talk about the job tenure declining. Because you mentioned about AEs in 2021, dropped from 12 months to 11 months, uh, VP of sales. We'll, we'll come back to VP of sales. Let's start with the AE. So how much of this is sort of a one-time thing, you know, sort of the pandemic-induced, great resignation, or is it you know, tied to other other causes?
0: Uh I mean, like with everything in life, there's a confluence of factors, Um, but I don't think that the trend is going to reverse in the other direction. In fact, I think it's likely that we're going to continue to see the rise of the outsourced sales professional. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're starting to already see the B2B influencer model take root where, you know, you know, people who have large audiences in sales are told, hey, if you'll promote this product, I'll pay you in, in, in order to do so. Mm. Um, that's only one step, that's B2B advertising, B2B marketing, sure. we're only one step away from B2B sales being outsourced where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm somebody who has an existing book of business and relationships with this set of of buyers, and and instead of being trapped at one company selling one product that may or may not be a good fit for these people to have a relationship with, I'm going to be an outsourced salesperson and I'll and I'll continue to to sell uh, to an existing group of customers a wide suite of products, which of course happens in channel sales and a bunch of other mm-hmm. mediums, but doesn't really happen in, in in as much in like you know common uh, SaaS mid market enterprise sales. Let, Less common, I would, I would say, Um, and and then on top of that, good or bad in your minds? Oh, I think good, good for sure. I'm I'm good for the sellers, uh, I think. I think well, and for the buyers, because I don't think they want to spend their time with people who don't know their business. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, I think the 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 comfort of hey, I know Andy. Andy's my friend. I've worked with him for a number of years. He knows what I like to buy. He knows He knows what our process looks like internally. How, you know, the the familiarity, the the value of relationships has always been under utilized, but I think mm-hmm. the utility is, is rising as we continue to g- grow root to, to new business models. Um,
1: so but, tell but we'll say, reps selling to no business, no company, have a portfolio of products they're going to represent instead of just one.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: I mean, yep. I think I think the job, I've, I've mentioned this before, I think the great job in the future is to be the talent agent for sellers in that environment.
0: I think it is a um, it's inevitable. It yeah. is inevitable. Now there are there are a bunch of reasons why it doesn't happen, you know, faster. And, and you know, sure. a lot of it has to do with the way that America as a whole is set up with benefits being tied to full time employment full-time and, month, and right? whatnot. So there, there there's a lot of there, you know taxes being much harder as a as a 1090. There, there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't happen uh, as quickly as it should. But I think it will continue to happen. But but back to your question, which was the the tenure of the AE. Um, the other thing that I'm seeing is with inflated quotas uh, and 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 unrealistic expectations, comes a shorter leash because you have uh, you know money. Sure. Sp- you have money and you need to convert money into performance. What you don't have is time. And so, in a world in which time is your is your is the scarce resource versus money is the thing you can throw around, you can always just pay up in order to hire someone else. And so, at that point, there is no there is no ceiling to how many reps you can hire or how expensive you can get in terms of OTE. All you need is for them to perform. And so then that's where you get into a world where like there was um, uh, a friend of mine took a took a job um, as the first sales hire for a company that had just raised a series. I and uh, was let go within eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, when I had a conversation uh, with him as to, as to what happened, he basically said, "Well, I got there. Um, they told me like, hey, no pressure you know, like, we want you to ramp, we want you to take your time, etc. Okay, cool. And then three weeks later, the CEO is like, all right, well, why haven't we made any progress yet on these deals? Like, where's the pipeline? And then he spent like four weeks prospecting as the first head of sales, prospecting into into the target accounts. Um, and then on the eighth week was told, well, you haven't closed any business in, in seven weeks, so we're going <laughs> to let you go. And And mind you, this is a company that had so two fine. customers... Had two customers ever before um, right. he started, and so you see a lot. Well, of but it, should he have known better, or did
1: they just mislead him when he was interviewing?
0: No, I think no. I I just don't think that people understand. The CEO just didn't understand sales. You know, the CEO was like, "Oh, you know." Literally didn't make any sales.
1: progress in in developing his understanding either.
0: Yeah, right. And and therein yeah. lies the issue. Is just like there's a lot of that. There's a lot of. There's a lot of ignorance about how sales works, which is what is leading to the shortened tenures. And, and it's having real long-term consequences on people's employment because the other side of this coin, with shortened tenures, is the fact that the number... So we, the, the way that our recruiting product works, which is somewhat unique, is it's built kind of like Tinder, mm-hmm. where you get like flashcards uh, per rep with a bunch of information, and you swipe left, swipe right. And if you decline, we have a little pop-up that shows up, which optionally asks you to cite why it was that you, um, you know, declined mm-hmm. this candidate. Do you know what the number one reason that a candidate gets declined is? What would you guess? Uh, did they have 42%. 42% of all declines. Because we have a, a matching algorithm that's sitting on top of this. So it's not okay, like... They didn't, have direct,
1: didn't have direct industry experience?
0: Mm -mm. Mm-mm. That's that's filtered by the algorithm. The number one reason, 42% of all rejects. The next highest is like 18%, just to be clear. It's a long list. 42%, too hoppy. (laughs) Again, that's... uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. The reason I'm laughing is like, okay, well, that's the environment you're creating as a CEO, and then you're penalize people for that. Yeah.
0: There's the double-edged sword. This is the thing that people aren't realizing, is that they you you're hiring someone you're setting unrealistic expectations you're pressurizing they're, they're not performing okay so you let them go and then their LinkedIn resume shows that hey, there was a company that we were working with on bravado talent again that will go unnamed um, where we we had to sever I've, I've had to fire two clients uh, for, mm. for, for for the product um, so far we have yet to be fired which is nice but we've had to fire two um, and this one was the worst of the two just to be clear right um, uh, there was a, a client who uh, basically you know told me they just raised this monster Series B and they were scaling and raising. I talked to their investor, great, like everything seemed awesome. Um, product was 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 really good. I really liked the product too. Um, got got on board with the with the CRO and then the CEO of the company to do an onboarding call after they signed the contract. First time I'd met the CRO. So far, I'd only dealt with the CEO. Um, so I'm, I'm talking to the CRO. And the CRO says, uh, you know, I have a real uh, bent for people who um, stick with one company for a long time. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, that makes sense. Yeah, he's like, you know, we're building a business that spans over the course of many years. And, and, and you know, we want to build a generational business here. And so I don't want people who are just going to hop from job to job, I, I, you know, just for a little bit higher OTE. I want people who are really invested in, in making a long-term commitment to this company, which doesn't sound unrealistic um, or, or unfair. Yeah. And and so I said, okay. So what does that mean to you? And he said, well, basically, if they've been at their last company for less than five years, I don't want to talk to them. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, Tell okay, those are out there, <laughs> right? So I was like, so you want me to pull from the seventeen salespeople that have worked for the same company for right. the last five years, like? You know, and, and then I try to get into the why. You know, because like, I'm always, you know, as, as sure. we know in sales, it's the, the the interesting part is the thought process behind it. And I was like, right. well, what what does that give you? And like, well, if they've been at the same company for the last five years, it means that they must be really good, and 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 it means that they must have gotten promoted a bunch, and it means that they must be reliably hitting quota, and da 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 da. And I was like, yeah, but what about all of the companies that haven't been able to afford that kind of luxury to an employee because they went out of business in two years or they had to do layoffs or whatever. Like, what What if it had nothing to do with the performance of the salesperson, I had everything to do with the company? And the person said something to me that, that again, this was the first flag of, a, of what turned out to be a three-week partnership. Yeah. He said, well, then they should have known better and known how to pick the right company. So that probably makes me question their judgment more than anything else.
1: <sighs> yeah, as if all that is visible to them. they're making
0: (laughs) it as if like everyone's got a freaking crystal ball sitting around knowing like like you know as if everyone is a is a master at assessing you know and valuing companies (sighs) you know so like this is the market we're in where on the one hand we have like groups of companies Uh, i want to use one example that i can publicly use uh because i was i was told i could say this publicly um, we one company we work with is called Webflow, I love Webflow. Their their team is amazing. Maggie, who runs their sales department, is someone I have a lot of respect for, and she's she's a rock star. You know, I have her, who's who's like. A champion of diversity, who's trying to bring people in who mm-hmm. who, who come from all kinds of walks of life, right. understands that like you know, sales shouldn't be just like a bunch of white dudes running around, right. and 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 is building this like incredibly uh, diverse but but powerful team where a hundred percent of their sales reps hit quota last quarter. You know, a hundred percent of their reps hit quota last quarter and their team is a mishmash of people from all different geographies, from all different backgrounds, all different, like you, you took a team picture and I sent it to you, you would have no clue this was a sales team, you know, and it was not, and then, and, and then on the other side of that you know, I've got, I've got this, this, this shit that I'm dealing with right. people who are like, if someone's got less than five years of experience or they haven't worked at one of these like five companies and I don't even want to look at them. Like, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. What a, what, like how bad companies are at hiring salespeople it just blows my mind.
1: Yeah. Well, and so <laughs> we could go on for another two hours on this is yeah, just a simple thing. I, you know, question I asked, a CRO I was having this conversation with and a hiring manager was, was yeah, asked them what they were looking for with, with sellers. And they go same list that you talked about for you, hunter, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, okay, have you ever asked your buyers what they need from your sellers? <laughs> Big silence. It's like you're hiring for this image. What you have as a, what a sales team needs to be. Have you ever asked your customers what they need from you in order to make a decision to buy from you? No.
0: And what I find to be the most interesting part of that, because the answer is always no, it's always no, yeah, I
1: know. is That's because
0: is because the CRO or VP of Sales thinks they know better than the customer. Exactly. That's what I find to be. It's it's not the fact that they well, haven't, because we yeah. know we both know we haven't. It's because they're like, well, they don't. I mean, it's my job to know how they. As if, like, again, it's the hubris of it. Again, th- th- this is like a really interesting an- uh, analog. Um, we have an advisor at Bravado. Her name is Fern Mandelbaum. So I love Fern. She, um, she teaches the sales uh, course at Stanford GSB. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a, you know, she also teaches the the. Um, uh, uh, she huge uh, advocate for, for diversity and women's empowerment mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship and stuff. She's amazing, you know, amazing woman. Um, and I don't I don't recall if she gave me permission to share the company, so I'll just I'll just keep it a, a very very large company that every salesperson has heard of right. hired her because they were having trouble um, they were having trouble. Uh, you know, scaling their, their, their revenue team and the revenue operations and stuff. And so basically was hired by the CEO, who's a huge public figure that everybody on this, on this thing knows, um, uh, to, to come in and do an assessment. So she basically went in and she walked through the sales pit as it was known then and, you know, whatever, and then grabbed the, and then, so, you know, spent a day with the team, you know, did interviews, whatever. And at the end of the day, the CEO, the, the VP of sales or CR or whatever it was, um, sat down with her in a room and said, all right, what would be your recommendation? And. She said to them, you know, the industry that you sell into, um, you know, to avoid trying to right, you know, right. say which company yeah. I'll just won't put into. The industry you sell into is, uh, you know, your buyers. She goes, 70% of them are women and 40% are minorities. But uh, your entire sales team is white dudes. White dudes,
1: like, right? Like, white bros, right? Like,
0: like, like, how come your sales team doesn't look like your customer set? And, and they were obviously, like, hugely embarrassed by this thought and whatnot, and it led to a... To, in, to the credit of this company, they made some massive changes to the way they were hiring and whatnot. And, 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 and this is a story from, from, you know, roughly, I think, like, eight, ten years ago. But the point of the story still remains the same, which is, like, how is it possible that you are selling into an industry that is dominated by women and minority buyers, but yet you have hired a bunch of people that don't look anything like that in order to sell? You know, so, like, it's just... There's a lot of there's a lot of misalignment between yeah. what a customer wants from a sales rep and what a VP of sales wants from a sales rep.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well we're gonna have to cut it off there because otherwise we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go on forever. But gotta have you back uh, sooner than fifteen months and we'll we'll keep this conversation going. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. So if people want to learn more about your sales comp report or just bravado in general, what's the best way to do that?
0: Yeah. Bravado.co, it's free, every resource on the site. You know, we we have a, a A bunch of stuff that hopefully can help salespeople do their jobs better and be more successful in their careers. So if you're in B2B sales and looking, that's great. And by the way, if for whatever reason, you're happy with a different community that you're a part of or you're you're finding value elsewhere. Uh, you know, don't don't think of don't think that this is a plug for bravado. But if for some reason you are not part of a community, which yeah. I think is true of many salespeople, oh, yeah. you can check ours out. You can also check out Rev Genius. I love what Jared and their team are building. You can check out Pavilion, I love what Sam and their team. There's a bunch of this, Max and sales hacker. You don't need to stick with Bravado Go find another group of salespeople so that you don't need to stare at yourself and think you're crazy. You're not the crazy one. There's a lot of fucked up shit that's happening to salespeople. And the only way you're ever going to like recognize that is if you find a community of peers where you can have these conversations and, and, and learn. So again, whether it's bravado or not, I hope it is. But if it's not, that's fine. Don't think you're crazy. Don't think, right. oh, this is just the way it has to be, because right. I can't tell you how many conversations I have where people were like, oh, I thought it was me all along, and it's not yeah. you it's all along.
1: Exactly. All right, I Sahil, feel. thank you so much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show, and I want to thank my guest, Sahil Mansuri for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, Please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.